I'm Stephen Gregory Smith. And I'm Matt Cutter. We're back again for season 10 of The, the Cutter and Smith Show. not be sanctioning specific seasons from here forward. We will be talking about whatever we want to at the time. When it's spooky season, it will be. When it's holiday season, it will be. If you want to be interviewed, send us a request. And sometimes we'll just talk about stuff in our lives. There will be no schedule or structure to what we do moving forward. So here we go again. It is Forever Season 10. We will be... Right back! The king and queen have decided that it's high time for their son, Prince Dylan, to find a wife. They task the court jester with finding a suitable bride, but what he unleashes is a never-ending line of young women with serious flaws. Finally, one stormy night, a young woman knocks on the castle door seeking shelter. Is she the match he is seeking? His mother's ridiculous test of worthiness involving a pea and some magical help from the local wizard will reveal the answer. Running from March 8th to the 24th, this adaptation of a classic story by Hans Christian Andersen features music and lyrics by Connor and Smith and is directed by Laura Connors Hull, Lenny Mendez, and Matt Connor. Tickets are $18 for students and $20 for adults. Family four packs are available for $65 if you use the code 4PK. Group rates begin at 10 plus tickets. Call the box office for information. Performances run on Fridays at 7.30, Saturdays at 2 and 7.30, and Sundays at 2 and 4. Call 703-436-9948 for tickets or simply visit www.creativeculture.org for more details. Okay, tonight we are talking about 1973's American Graffiti. Not to be confused with its sequel, more American Graffiti. Great title. <laughs> this is not a Milius film. It's, it's not. It's George Lucas. It is George Lucas. This is more of a tangent from Milius Mania. This is a bonus episode. Uh, John Milner is a character that, at least by name, Lucas uh, is paying homage to John Milius. Uh, really... You know, I guess that's the part of George when he was writing the script that the part of him that he felt was most like uh, John Milius as well. So uh, gave him the name. But like the three main characters, Kurt uh, and uh, the guy pay, played by Paul Lamont, John Milner and uh, <clears throat> Ron Howard's character, Steve, were all and uh, Toad, Terry, Terry, Terry the Toad. Yeah. Uh, all were parts of who George Lucas felt like he was at different times in his life. So this is very autobiographical, set in Modesto, California, uh, capturing a moment in time. I mean, think about this. We've talked about this before on the podcast before, right? Where, you know, we'll go from 89 into 90, into 91, into 92 films, and there's still this 80s, 80s right? Uh, or, you know, same thing for the 90s 70s. into the 2000s, 70s into the 80s. Because uh, if you think about it, this is you know supposed to be taking place in 1962. It came out in 73. You're talking about a 10, 11 year difference from history. But think about everything that happened 
between 1962 and 1973 and the change Mm. that the country went through. Uh, And this is his kind of in amber encapsulation of his childhood and what he, you know, thought was cruising, you know. This is the first time I ever heard about cruising was seeing this movie. Um, Like, talk about one of the most tumultuous decades. Yeah. (laughs) Till today, till now, um, that we went through as a nation, especially the year 1968. Yeah. Is just seismic. And Um, it it really, you know, has, you know, I love those movies that are like, one crazy night. Yeah. You know, I love those types of films. And uh, I think this was kind of a, a stimulus for other those types of films later on yeah uh, specifically days to confused i mean there's a definite correlation where you're not really following a a plot per se as opposed to just people and characters and they're kind of leading where you're going what was the movie i said that was a 2000s one um i don't know super bad oh super bad yeah totally yeah mm-hmm. uh nick and nora's infinite playlist i mean the list goes on and on uh lucas really was inspired by uh an Italian film called I Vitaloni, uh, which was uh, done by Fellini. Uh, it was in 1953, and it was also autobiographical for him. And it's these five young Italian men at crucial points in their small town lives, um, it, while also mirroring important societal changes in the 1950s. So it was his view, uh, American version of that. I don't think anybody actually got that, uh, but... Yeah, I mean, I saw this movie when I was young because I was a huge Star Wars fan. It had a re-release, re-release in 1978. Um, and, you know, years later when you're getting in, into George Lucas and the Star Wars of it all, um, you know, you kind of start to follow this man who is this bigger-than-life character. You know what I mean? Uh, George yeah. Lucas was, uh, uh, you know, eponymous with Star Wars. Like, it was his thing you know um and was you know has still continued into the cultural zeitgeist to this day um so this is a story about uh, young kids uh senior year last night before they go off to college or stay in modesto um and it's got uh, richard dreyfus playing kurt uh it's got steve played by ron howard who was 18 um you've got uh Charles Martin Smith playing Terry. Uh, he went from Terry the Toad to Terry the Tiger when he meets Candy Clark. <laughs> uh, you got Paul Lamatt playing uh, John uh, Milford. Uh, Mackenzie Phillips is Milner. in this. Milner. Milner, sorry, yeah. Uh, Mackenzie Phillips is in this at 12 years old. Um, she's the kid with uh, Milner the whole time. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, you've never seen this before. Never have. Um, now, I'll say right off the bat, I know nothing about cars, but this is like car porn for people that like cars. I, in a shocking twist of events, I love to go to car shows. I was a big car person growing up. I used to buy the magazines of antique cars and read about them. Now, why did that start? Dick Tracy. I became obsessed with the cars in Dick Tracy, and then my dad saw like an inroad to connect with me and was like, oh, that's kind of based off of the 32 Packard. And I was like, that's my dream car. I love the 32 Packard. Then we would just keep talking about cars, and I wasn't too much into the 50s cars yet because I was so into the 20s and 30s cars. 
But then the more I started looking at cars and these magazines to find my 32 Packard or whatever, I always wanted to rebuild a 32 Packard with my dad. There was a chassis of one rusted out in the junkyard by our house. He was like, that's way too much work for either of us to do. And um, But I started to buy these car magazines. So I, I went to several car shows uh you know, they used to have them in the Burger King parking lot sure, or whatever. Yeah. I've been to a few. Or the airport, our small, like, not real plane airport. Um, and I love that. Uh, so, never having seen this, I knew it was kind of about the 50s-ish or 60s or something. And the first 15 minutes, my jaw was on the floor at the beauty of this film between the color, the neon... The soundtrack alone to this film is one of the best soundtracks ever. Well, you know, he wrote it with certain songs in mind. I'm sure. And, and when he wrote the screenplay, you know, he's going in with, uh, who did he write it with? Uh, Willard Huck, who's a, a, a classmate, and Gloria Katz, uh, uh, Willard's uh, wife, who uh, famously did Howard the Duck, uh, <laughs> wrote Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. That's better. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so he included 75 songs within the screenplay it's specific song to songs song to song yeah um they wound up making you know a deal and making it 40 elvis's uh was in it could not be in it so it narrowed it down to 40 and really the soundtrack of this was really huge yeah at the uh i think it was later that they released it the the 40 uh songs in it um, so that was a huge driving force. And this is one of the first films to use, I think it's called diegetic music, where it's what the characters are listening to in in the story as opposed to music playing that they're not aware of kind right, of thing. Right. It's part of their world. There's not a score to this film. It is this, it's the, it's either the music or Wolfman Jack. And it was, uh, oh God, uh, what's his name? He helped, uh, he, he uh, Walter Murch. Uh, who uh, edited uh, Apocalypse Now, who was also, I believe, a uh, USC guy. Uh, made, he was the one that came up with the idea that Wolfman Jack would be like the Conduit. the audio basis for the whole thing. And, you know, because everybody listened to it. You, I mean, you would go down the street, literally in cars like this, cruising, and everybody would have the same thing on, listening to the, the same, same music. Yeah, so you're just passing. I mean, the I don't know. The simplicity of that. Yeah. I love the scene... Where they're just having conversations with people as they're driving, like with their windows open or whatever. And it was like, oh, before Messenger, before texting. <laughs> this is what you had to do, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's also, I mean, of course, you know, they go through their their nights and they all learn something. But it's not even really about that per se, in my opinion. I don't think this is really something that's trying to say something other than the fact that this is what it was. This yeah. is the way that it happened. And... It's a slice of life time capsule, which is a very European. They, you know, American graffiti. The the producers thought it was going to be some kind of French, you know, new wave kind of film kind of thing, but it wasn't that at all. It was very Americana. Didn't think it was going to do well. Three scenes were taken out that we both got to see because they were put back in in the seventy eight re release. Um, but it, it was huge. It was made for seven hundred seventy seven thousand dollars in seventy three. So probably around five six million dollars with inflation who knows now and has made millions and millions and millions of dollars and, it, and that's be also because in 1978 after star wars was amazingly 
popular, they re-released uh, this film, American Graffiti, with those three scenes put back in. That's the version because he had the seen. money to do so, yeah. right? Well, he had the uh, the the chutzpah. The, yeah, he had the the control and power to do it at that time. And again, they released it at the theater. It made more money at the theater the next time they re-released it. Yeah. I think it was fifty-five and sixty-three million dollars, respectively. Uh, but you know, did well in Canada. Uh, it's a cult following in France, I believe. Uh, I think it did well in England. Um, but yeah, it was it was a very huge. I mean, this is in the uh, Library of Congress. Like, yeah. as a cultural thing. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important to look at as a time capsule. Um, I think it's interesting. You encapsulated it when we were watching the last eight minutes of when he's in the plane and the cars are so small, they're not important anymore. I think it's interesting to see what is the watering hole of teenagers in this year. That beautiful drive-in burger place. Mel's Diner. Yeah. Yeah. With its gorgeous Which neon. got torn down right after. Oh, no. Yeah. But because of the popularity of the uh, movie, the son of Mel decided to open up Mel's Diners again anyway. Well, there's a beauty to the colors, the styles of these incredible cars pulling into this amazing neon Mecca, this nucleus of social activity where people cruise. And, and with this movement of the waitresses and waiters that on are roller on skates, roller skates yeah. going between the cars. I mean, I'm old enough to remember there were dregs of those types of things still existing where I grew up. I mean, it, they were close I mean, soon. Sonic tries to copy that vibe a little well, bit. Well, we had something that was, I mean, A&W was like that. Mm -hmm. Um they got rid of the people that came out, though, at, at one point when I was a kid. So there was, you know, there was a huge thing with the 50s. You know, of course, studio heads probably looking back. I mean, that, that had a renaissance in the 70s. Happy Days would have been the next year, I think. In Pennsylvania, it was Eaton Park. Yeah. Where you parked and, and ate. Sure. But it was Eaton Park. You got Happy Days. You got Laverne and Shirley. The Outsiders came out in 1980. Um, the 50s were huge in the 80s. Uh, 85, you get uh, Back to the Future, and they go back to 1955. 87, you get Madonna's um, True Blue, which is all 50s kind of feel inspired. Yeah, and there's definitely this, you know, I understand the uh, the pushback on, oh, it was such a much simpler time. It wasn't. It was, it was a... a a time shrouded in rose-colored col glasses. People were still existing and, and trying to survive in that time period. Mm -hmm. um, but it does have this waxy foam of nostalgia. There's no POC kind of stories being told in this. Right. I mean, the closest comes to what Mackenzie uh, Phillips and uh, uh, Paul Lamont as John Milner, when they discuss uh, Wolfman Jack... Uh, but that's really the only mention of it. And I'm sure that's the way that it was in Modesto, California at the time that George Lucas was growing up. Uh, I understand the the pushback on, oh, uh, back in the day was so much simpler, as I said earlier. Um, however, I don't judge somebody's experience of a specific time in their lives and, and portraying that, especially in film art or any art of... Whether it be a painter painting a scene from 1962 of this specific cruising in this main street, it's going to hold some kind of artistic quality to it, catching this moment in time. 
So cruising shopping centers became a thing in the 80s and 90s. That's like people did, drove around to see who was about. Shopping malls. Yeah. 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 I, I, I love the idea of going back to what I was saying about the nucleus of the, the teenage world. I love the idea of what's important to us in a certain different periods of time and how we show what's important to us. The cars, there's cars always change style. Those cars are works of art. One might look at the Honda Fit in 30, 40 years and say the same thing. I don't see it as such. It's a cute little car. Yeah, when I look at cars back then, again, I'm not a car guy. I see art. I see, I see a sculpture yeah. of something, including the, the colors and the shape of it. It's got, I don't know, there's more than one color. Now. More than one color. Highlights of different things on fins. Like that. The... Um, you know, and I know that, that I'm sounding stupid. Of course, style trends change. This restaurant with the opulent amount of neon that would never happen now. Now everything's like minimalist, understated, you know, whatever. Um, or they've got back to the, the latest restaurant trend is, you know, the filament uh, bulbs where you can see the, you know, so it looks vintage. Um but the opulence of post-war America and like, and the, in the sixty, yeah, because you get it after what nineteen forty-seven, yeah. you know, into the fifties, you have you do you have this opulence, the age of tomorrow, and then the sixties, yeah. the beginning of the sixties, sixty, you know, Kennedy's going to get assassinated. Yep. Uh, we're we're just starting to get into Vietnam at this time, but we don't really know about it. Um, and you know, the Cultural Revolution happens. Yes. Uh, so race revolution happens. I mean, yeah, every, I mean, all of, all of it, the cultural revolution. Women's live is coming in 1970. Like there's, there's, we, we sit in this like opulence post-war, like we deserve this kind of great moment. And, uh, it's all about, uh, material things and fashion and, you know. And I recognize the privilege in the fact that only white people are, having this experience this great time yeah um and then it all shifts you know it, then we go away from opulence and into like flower power and like you know versus industrial military complex minds so then i mean we've always been divided in politics and stuff but then it really starts to go from like tanks and guns to flowers and you know love yeah. i mean at, at a time at, you know during the war and after we could all agree that Nazis were bad. Right. I mean, where are we now? Right. Um, not to put a, a dark spin on it, but, you know, it's it's true. Yeah. Um, what I find interesting about the structure of the film, so George Lucas wrote it with an A, B, C, D. So you would be following each character at the same time throughout the film. So you'd be cutting between A, then B, then C, then D, then back to A, then B, then C, then D. Um, and it just wasn't working. Um, Verna Fields, the legendary Verna yes. Fields, Jaws, Steven Spielberg's, uh, you know, she did Sugarland Express uh, as well for Spielberg, brought her in. And then his wife at the time, Marsha Lucas, also helped with the edit. He helped with the edit, of course. But there's, there's a, uh, the editing in this film gives the audience the feeling of staying up all night. Yeah. And I don't think with the A, B, C, D, 
that you would necessarily get it because it's the way it's edited it's a little more uh chaotic in a way of like okay who are we following now oh i want to get back to this like i don't know there there's this exciting quality to the editing that's moving you forward with 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 the evening because there is no real plot it's just these people hanging out the last night before all these changes happen in their lives Mm -hmm. um how did you we talked about this briefly last night hey eddie no one asked you those are the pugs eddie and byron barking snoring and everything else in the background um please that's that's enough i remember the night or the time leading up to going to college i was really super excited i was so like oh my god i cannot wait because i also knew i was not being my true self and i really wanted to go somewhere new and be able to be me and maybe meet a boyfriend maybe meet you know which i did (laughs) so this so in that uh, in your personal thing this is so this is encapsulating what happened right before you leave mm-hmm. of hanging out with the friends but one last time one last time before you move on to the thing that you think is going to create grow up create your life right mm-hmm. so that's this moment and you see it in so many people you see it in in i mean uh, fucking uh, Cindy Williams uh, Shirley who will surely ever be known as Shirley unfortunately <laughs> you know what i mean she uh, she was nominated for a golden globe for this she's great in this movie but the Steve and her stuff was the hardest thing to to get down on paper and to actually film and get right. But just watching the way that they're coming to terms with... I mean, I did the exact same thing with my girlfriend at the time before I went off to college. Mm-hmm. The exact same thing. Well, I think maybe we should see other people. Right. And, you know, Steve made a different decision. He winds up staying uh, in Modesto. He winds up being a car salesman, uh, as we find in the postscript. Um, yeah, everything flips from how it is at the beginning. It's interesting. Kurt that, not really wanting to go. He's I'm not sure I'm going to go. Replayed by Richard Dreyfuss. Shrugging. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. This yeah. is like the next morning. Are you serious? Like, And then it all flips. Um, There's a lot of the stuff in this film that uh, Lucas caught that, you know, a lot of it was ad-libbed as well. I mean, uh, when Harrison Ford sings to... Uh, uh, Cindy Williams in the car that was ad-libbed um, but a lot of stuff was ad-libbed so like when uh, at the very beginning of the film when Charles Martin Smith rolls up in the Vespa and he crashes it that that was real he actually couldn't Crashed stop it. the Vespa and Lucas kept it in which adds yeah. to that character so much because he's he's Terry the Toad and then Terry the Tiger later on. I love at the end when it when she's like, "What are you doing tomorrow?" And he's like, "Well, I got a Vespa." You know, like yeah. it goes back to that. She's like, "Oh, why did you say so? I love a motorcycle." It's almost a motorcycle. Yeah, she got nominated for an Academy Award. That's supporting actress. That's great. I mean, she's fantastic. It's such a surprising character because you think it's going to be one thing, and then it actually turns out interesting because she sees in Terry like something that no one else does, yeah. and. The guys that she's used to hitting on her are like, you know, she's been through that. Um, I mean, I love the... the He's basically McLovin trying to go by Yeah, I mean, Superbad totally took... That whole thing, yeah. And the dynamics between the characters, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, I think the women in this are great, too. I mean, for the time period, I they are living the life that a, a woman in that time period would be 
living. Yeah. Uh, but Cindy Williams does have some uh, schutzpah in the way that she handles I Ron it was Howard. Chutzpah. Whatever. Schutzpah. Whatever. Chutzpah. That's just schmay. <laughs> uh, I think that the way that she deals with, with Ron Howard is kind of great. For yeah. that time period. And I, I picture my mom as the Sydney Williams character, which is weird because my mom was, you know, in high school between, what, uh, 66 and 69, somewhere in there. So a little bit after. Um, she gives herself agency. Exactly. That's the word I was actually looking for yeah. in my mind. Uh, even Candy Clark <laughs> uh, being, uh, I can't think of her character name, but with uh, with Terry the Tiger. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, even her, like her whole experience with, with, with everything is... A, is I don't know. She's just a person. She's making choices. Yeah, and she's just a person. And, and I think a lot of films from maybe the actual, you know, 50s into the 60s, there weren't choices being made by women. They were kind of like these, you know, uh, caricatures in a way. Uh, I mean, Pauline Kael thought that George Lucas was a chauvinist for not showing what happened to the women at the end in the postscript. Um, so hated the film. Um, that's so interesting, and I get that. I mean, it's literally it's the four guys, and that's all you get. But you that's also how the story to, was framed. It was framed. You also think who's writing it. You know, you, you have to take a, a movie on its own terms. You don't have to. I have to take a movie on its own terms. Um, yeah, and getting Wolfman Jack was a great coup for the for the film, without a doubt. I mean, I he makes the film. His voice is the film. Um, Lucas had a really bad experience with THX 1138, which I don't know if you noticed the license plate on John Milner's yellow 32 uh, was TH THX 138. Um, it, it didn't do well. Coppola had produced it with American Zoetrope. Uh, it was it was a failure. Uh, you know, Coppola had an opportunity to buy this from Universal. But they wouldn't sell it because they were just going to like put it on television. Like this isn't going to, you know. And then Coppola offered to buy it and they said no. He would, I mean, it would have made, he made him tons of money. Um, but I don't know. There's a feeling like Days to Confuse gives me, gives me the exact same feeling as this movie gives, gives me. I didn't grow up at the time Days to Confused, of Days Confused. But you can relate. But I can relate to it. On a human level. Yeah, and also, you know, you know, being born in the late 70s, going into the 80s, that was all very uh, in my mind because of my sister, uh, because of my parents, uh, because of my sister's friends, all having to go, you know, all of their pop culture was my pop culture. Um, and so I got a lot of that. I mean, a lot of the pop culture I was having was Happy Days. Laverne and Shirley is like my favorite sitcom to this day. Um, and it was set during that time period. Uh, I don't know. There's, a, there's a, a hanging out quality to this movie. I feel like I could just watch it, like put it on in the background and check in with these people yeah. every once in a while. And I'd be like, oh yeah, that's, what he's, what, that's where they're at at this point in the evening. It's a great movie for that because you're treated to this incredible soundtrack. Every song is like, oh my God, that song. Yeah. yeah. I mean. And what's funny is Verna Fields, do you know he, she was the teacher? No. For George Lucas and Steven Spielberg at USC? I and, did not. Yeah. And then so she goes and edits her, basically her students' 
her friend joy um yeah right uh i don't know and then so okay i i had posed this question is american graffiti or star wars or any other film that george lucas has made what is his best film and i will say his most relatable film for everyone is this is american graffiti i would agree um star wars is huge but there are people that just don't like science fiction or space operas. Uh, there, to this day, people that still have not seen Star Wars. There's probably more people that haven't seen American Graffiti. Uh, but my point is that I think if someone who doesn't like Star Wars were to watch American Graffiti, they would probably like American Graffiti. I'm, I'm sorry I'm laughing. I, I immediately thought of a line that Lucille Bluth says in Arrested Development to her adopted son. <laughs> Here's $20. Go watch a Star War. <laughs> like, there must be one playing, right? Um, yeah, there, there, there will be people like that. But I, it's, it's funny. I was talking to my mother last night and was telling her that I had watched this film. And I was like, Mom, you would love this soundtrack. You'd probably love this movie. She's like, I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. I'm going to have to look for it now. Oh, she'll just... I love it, yeah. Oh, she'll just love it. Yeah, it's the best music. It's the best um, music. When we were in college, in Rob and Matt Dice's room playing PlayStation, what was always playing? 50s music. Always. Was it really? Always, yeah. Matt Dice was a huge like 50s... Like so, all of these songs were almost in my formative times as well, playing video games. Well, that's that's true though. I mean, growing up, okay. So nowadays, oldies stations. for the young people, yeah, uh, the oldies stations, the golden oldies. Welcome to the golden oldies. We're gonna play the hits uh, of the eighties. Hits of the eighties, <laughs> and we're old. And we're old. Yeah. Uh, back then, it was the fifties. It was great. It was amazing. Well, it was. I part mean, part of my growing up as well because my parents would listen to the oldies station. Yep. And me too. That was like. The music I took in. Now I took in MTV as well, so I had, but I could appreciate both. You know, there were songs I hated, though. I mean, oh sure. I mean, there is in every uh, genre, genre decade, or decade yeah. or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. And I mean, that's, and I think that's a huge part of my personal. Again, I can't have nostalgia for this time period. Yeah, but I do. Yeah, and I know there's probably a word out there. You know for it or for what that means um but because i was experiencing what my mother and father liked it became a part of me well because you were kind of experiencing what they were experiencing when sure you were their age yeah. sure so did you know that uh so lamott who's uh, paul lamott who played uh john milner uh was a vietnam vet hmm. uh he was had medals for being in the vietnam war this was the second film he did once he had gotten out of the war um and harrison ford and bo hopkins who plays the leader of the pharaohs mm -hmm. uh, were drunk basically the entire time harrison ford's 30 years old 30 years old in 1973 he was like i don't want to do this anymore this doesn't pay me as well as my carpentry job during the day so they gave him like 15 dollars more that was the same amount that he was making in carpentry anyway they got drunk all the time uh they had a competition to climb the local Holiday Inn sign. <laughs> Harrison Ford would walk on precipices of buildings. Like, he was, like... He was that dude. He was that guy. Uh, George Lucas's hotel room got burnt down. 
to this day, nobody has said who's, who's done it, why it happened. They don't remember. <laughs> they don't remember. <laughs> um, it's, it's just fascinating to me that Harrison Ford goes on to become one of the biggest action movie stars of all time, right? And not just action movies, like dramas. Like he... From carpentry and drunken sign climbing. And later in life, too, 30 years old. There's hope for us all. <laughs> right. for us I all. don't know. I'm getting... Pa- I'm getting <laughs> Who knows? I mean, and seeing Drivis in this, he looks like such a baby. He's such a baby, and what? Two years later, he's in Jaws, and he looks like an old man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I did get the chance to watch more American Graffiti, the sequel. The sequel, uh, produced, executive produced by George Lucas. Uh, he had a big hand in this. Uh, came out in '79. Um, was not a hit. Uh, brought back Ron Howard, which it's it. The way they uh, list him in the credits, it's like almost like he's doing a cameo, but it's just a regular role, like you know. Uh, but there, it's four different timelines, so we know what happens to uh, John mm-hmm. uh, Milner, right? Right. Because we get the postscript. Uh, we know what happens to uh, uh, the Toad, Terry the Toad. Uh, he dies in uh, Vietnam. Uh, Ron Howard becomes an insurance salesman, right? Mm-hmm. And Kurt becomes a uh, a writer in Canada. Richard Dreyfuss is the only one that didn't come back for this. You even get a cameo from Harrison Ford. Wow. <laughs> By playing Bob Falfa, but now he's a, a traffic cop. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny. Uh, but yeah, so it's different timelines. So you get the John Milner, he's a racer, like a professional racer now. Uh so you know what's coming for him in a different year. And then the next one follows uh, Terry the Toad in, um, is it Terry? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Toad in uh, Vietnam. And that, some people say that actually George Lucas filmed that. It would have been more, that's what his apocalypse now would have been more like. It's like each timeline has a different uh, aspect ratio. Uh, so you're, you're getting, you know, the differences. You get uh, the one that was with uh, Terry that he picked up. She, uh is like living with Mackenzie Phillips now, who's now going by Rainbow. Um, and she has this, you know, guitarist boyfriend who's a, a louse who she's trying to get into this band. So that's a different timeline. And then you get the Ron Howard and Cindy Williams, which is my favorite one, where they're married. Because you get you get them in the beginning with John, too, because it's a different time timeline. And they're pregnant at that time. And then they have twins. And this one, he's got a mustache. Uh, they're very much, you know, adults now. And uh, they get pulled into, like, uh, protesting with her little brother. Uh, so it's really quite interesting. And I, I did like all of the different aspect ratios. It's not nearly as good as American Graffiti, but it's still a good time. Um, at the end, John Milner does die. They changed the date to December from June. Uh, Terry, <laughs> he fakes his death, goes AWOL. So the official thing is that he's dead, but he's actually not dead. He's AWOL somewhere in Europe. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think uh, Ron Howard and Cindy Williams just go on. I think he becomes like the either the owner or the general manager of the insurance company or something like that. <laughs> um, yeah. So I don't know. Uh, I. I don't think it, 79 was a weird time, right? You're going, it's another one of those times when you're going into the 80s. Right. Um, and 
I don't know if the time periods were as popular in 79 that they were doing because it was more, <clears throat> you know, basically another 10 years or 11 years or whatever it is mm -hmm. at different points because 65, no, it would have even further back, 14 years. So I don't know if the, because uh, in the 80s, it really became like a, like a 60s, 70s feel, right? Like a 70s feel? I think the 80s feel. was kind of 50s still. Yeah, I guess so in the early 80s. Yeah. Yeah. We did talk about that. I don't know. What, when does that change? Is it, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think the 90s, the 60s were in because we had China Beach. We had... Uh, Fred that was 80s. Going into 90s, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, maybe. We had Fred Savage's show. Oh, yeah, Wonder Years. That was 80s. Going into the 90s, 90s. Yeah. yeah. I think we started to shift. There was a movie about the 60s in the 90s, late 90s. Yeah, I think it was like a miniseries. The 60s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so in the 2000s, were we obsessed with the 70s? The 90s? No, the 70s? Or do we skip into the 80s? I think the 70s had a resurgence in the 90s as well. There were a lot of like, I know at least in Madonna world, there were a lot of bell-bottom things and all that. Um, but I feel like somehow the 80s should have been big in the 2000s, but the 80s are like, have been big forever. And are still... It's getting into the 90s, though, now. Getting into, getting into, but still the 80s are kind of, like, ruling I mean, the nostalgia world. You're getting all the remakes of the 90s stuff, like uh, the television shows, like Boy Meets World had a, a sequel recently. Um, I mean, they're even doing sequels to shows from the early 2000s, like How I Met Your Mother did How I Met Your Father. It didn't last long, but, you know. I know. It's strange. We're, we live in such an IP world, mm -hmm. and I think we always have, but I think to a greater degree now that it's hard to you know for something new like this american graffiti to like kind of break through the noise know, the noise of it all you know i don't know how well it would do now i mean there's always going to be period films uh i i, I think you know we haven't i guess we've seen costume dramas in tv a lot napoleon is definitely you know period drama uh, I wonder... A Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah, I mean, so we always go back to, you know, ago times. Um, but I, I, I'm interested if I'll be old enough to see what they say about the times we're in now and how they'll be shown and what will be the things. Because I imagine people who lived through the American Graffiti thing are watching it going, oh my God, I remember that car. Or I remember... I remember doing this and that listening to the, the same uh, radio program everybody's like, listening to. Is when we go forward in 20, 30 years, are people just going to be all about like Trump, Trump, Trump? You know, is that going to be the thing? Like, oh, goodness, I don't know. There's so much other things. I see uh, um, movies from the early 2000s or even mid 2000s now, and the thing that always makes me laugh out loud is like seeing an iPod or seeing a uh, Blackberry or. I'm like, ah, look at that. Or hearing a dial-up thing. You know, things that just do not exist anymore. Um, so that will be interesting to see if we live long enough to have that season of the podcast. It will still be season 10 by then. But <laughs> Totally. Yeah. The never-ending 10. The never-ending uh, story. But the John Milius of this all, it's, it's again, just a tangent. Uh, basically a namesake, John Milner. Uh, but, you know... I thought this would be fun because it's it's kind of a lighthearted, uh, 
film to watch with a, you know, a little bit of an attachment to John Milius. Barely any, but you know, whatever. Yeah. Well, it was fun. I was glad we watched it. I definitely loved it. Yeah, and I would recommend more American Graffiti, too. Like, uh, it's it's gained in popularity. I don't want to say popularity, but it's, it's gained a cult status that uh, this is a lot better than it really had any right to be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, Cindy Williams is great in it. I mean, just just wonderful. Um, yeah, it's it's good stuff. And it's good to see Ron Howard with a mustache, which I think may have been fake, but I don't know. Maybe it wasn't. I don't know. I doubt he can grow one. <laughs> well, he on. can. Yeah, he he's can. had a beard before. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. in his in his uh, older years. In his older years, yeah. All right. Well, that thank... wonderful red hair. Uh-huh. Oh, Opie. So so handsome. So do you uh, do you think this is George Lucas's? Best film, definitely. I do. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I love Star Wars and everything, but the characters, the world building, the... Um, not that he doesn't <laughs> world build in Star Wars. People don't yell at me for that. The, um, But but recreating with vibrancy a, a period of time gone by, it, it's, it's pretty beautiful. It's a beautiful film to watch. Well, you sure it's not uh, his best film is in Attack of the Clones? Because he does bring American Graffiti into that film. The uh, racing pod is yellow and looks like uh, John's car. And then the diner that they go to is based off of uh, the diner. All I have to say about that film is, it's over for you, (laughs) Dooku. No, not as best. All right. Thank you for listening, everyone. We'll be back with, I guess we're doing Big Wednesday next. We'll see. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Yeah. Just FYI, I have not mentioned anything about this. We are not in our usual home. We're uh, by we, I mean me and Matthew. We are staying with family out in the country of Virginia, and uh, so we have some work being done on the kitchen. We're not sure when we're. You know, the schedule's weird. So Ryan and I are doing our best to kind of bring you new content. Matthew is in tech, um, working open Saturday, I believe. First performance is, I think, tomorrow. Um, so life's a little akimbo right now, but we're, we're trying to soldier on and bring you more stuff. To February to. 10th, Creative is. Cauldron. Yes. Buy your tickets now. Yes. All right. Well, thank you all. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to learn more about us, please visit www.connorsmithmusicals.com. That's Connor with an E-R. You can find us on social media under Connor and Smith. Again, that's Connor with an E-R. Please rate, review, subscribe, and comment on our episodes. Share it where you share things. Post it where you post things. Really helps us out a lot. We especially want to thank all of our sustaining Patreon supporters. Without you, we could not do what we do. So thank you so much. That's all we have for today, so we'll see you next time. Bye!